Sales Tuners, episode 99, Najib Hossein, account executive at Greenhouse Software. You know, that would get, kind of get to my head where I get so excited and, you know, then you realize like your pipeline is starting to fall a little bit by the wayside because when you're closing a bunch of deals, you might not be focusing as much on making cold calls. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Phil Knight, CEO of Nike, who said, it's all right to be Goliath, but always act like David. My guest today is Najib Hossein, account executive at Greenhouse Software. Najib spends his days empowering companies to build a winning hiring culture with the Greenhouse platform. He made the move to New York City after several years of great sales success at two of Boston's top companies, HubSpot and LogMeIn. And he did it for the opportunity to get to build some of the sales systems from the ground up. Before we dive in, just a quick update for you. I have had some terrific conversations here in London this month, and you'll be hearing a couple of those in the next few weeks. That said, I'm starting to turn my attention to Amsterdam and getting meetings set up there with great B2B sales reps. If you know one, connect us. I would love to chat. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 99. But now let's get to the conversation where Najib talks about how believing in the solution you're offering is the first foundation you have to build. I've been blessed to work at some really great companies, uh, even originally starting over at Amazon, moving over to LogMe and HubSpot. And so I've been able to really witness what some great sales companies have done, how they've built out their processes, how they've turned into uh, billion dollar companies and, and even further than that. So one of the bigger things that I wanted to do that really motivates me, especially over in New York and uh, at the stage I'm at, is around being able to help facilitate that process now at a late stage startup. So I'm really building uh, an awesome sales culture here, um, but also believing in the product. Um, I think it's important that whatever you do sell to actually believe that you are being able to help or do or achieve those outcomes that you, know, you say that you're doing. Well, we're going to dive into each of those as we go through this conversation today, and I'm looking forward to it. But I want to stay personal here real quick. You're a self-proclaimed burger aficionado. Now, I may not be on your level, uh, but as a guy who loves a good burger, tell me where you found the best one and tell me what makes a burger truly great. I recently moved from Boston or about a year ago uh, all the way over to New York. So it's really hard to pinpoint uh, the, the best type of burger in, in all of Manhattan and, and whatnot. But I'd say right now, there's this bar out in the West Village. Uh, it seems to be pretty popular. It's called The Happiest Hour. As of right now, they have my favorite burger. It's sort of like that fast, casual style of burger that you might get at like In-N-Out and Shake Shack, but it's got a little, little bit of a gourmet twist to it. So no frills, nothing too fancy about it, just solid classic. Very good. Well, Najib, as you know, in this show, we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that has led to your success. So talk to me about you know your sales process today. What is Greenhouse and why does a typical customer actually buy from you? Greenhouse is in a pretty interesting space. We're a dedicated recruiting platform where what we consider to be a talent acquisition suite. So you have a lot of different ways where uh, companies can really just empower to, like you mentioned at the beginning, 
really help build a winning hiring culture at your company. So some of the some of the bigger reasons why people come to us or people uh, choose us is around you know they're really rapidly growing up. They're trying to build out like a structured hiring process, but ultimately they're they're trying to hire A players and minimize you know the amount of risk that goes through uh, with actually what's one of the biggest investments that companies have, which is in their people uh, and their success. So you, you haven't always been the person that you are today, Najib. So take me way back. How did you actually get into sales? I'm almost even a little embarrassed to tell it, but I was a political science major in college. So at the time, I have an older brother. He was graduating law school, going on to become like in-house counsel at the solar energy company. I just assumed that was you know, my step, right? I, I political science major, you go to law school and you try to become a lawyer. Uh, the legal market back in 2012 was pretty bad, a little bit more oversaturated than the sales world. And so I had started recently watching the show Mad Men. Uh, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really like sexy, the advertising uh, type of world. Obviously, it was very stylized in, in the TV show. But I had a friend of mine who started working at like a digital media company whose title was account executive one that I heard on the show Mad Men. So I was like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. He meets with clients. I wonder if he wines and dines them. Um, so I ended up taking an interview um, at the company because they were based out, they had a big office in, in my hometown of Boston. So I didn't fully know exactly what I was getting into. I thought it was really going to be like, you wear a suit to work every day. You get to take people out. You meet with them. You shake hands. People make money. That's what I thought it was. Um, not going door to door trying to sell people websites uh, at the time. But so I kind of fell backwards into it from like a Hollywood perception, I would say. But uh, it turned out to be something that uh, it happened to really hone in on. I would say the skill set that I had that you might not find in other types of like things you can't necessarily like teach in college uh, per like a major per se. It seems though to be you've always been you know relatively younger as well as than, than everyone kind of in your level or on your class. Uh, how's that impacted what you've done so far in your career? It's been pretty awesome to be able to learn from a lot of people who've had other types of work experience, but it's also posed certain challenges uh, along the way. Um, like right when I had started at my first company, I was 21 years old. Um, I, I, was, I think I turned 22. I've always been young for my grades. So like. Uh, I think like four or five months after I had actually started at my first job. So unlike a lot of people who may have worked somewhere or did something in a different industry, I was learning like the corporate environment of like how internal politics work, how different personalities, how to deal with, you know, upper management, different people in the organization. Um, so it's, it's, it's what I've sort of had to learn on the fly, but also, uh, again, just not understanding that most people have a lot more experience than I do. I think that's been like the biggest thing I've tried to navigate. But then also at the same time, it's sort of, I've always had that feeling of I need to prove something that even though I am younger than people, um, that I'm meant to be here doing the same thing as you. So a little bit of that chip on your shoulder mentality, just making sure everyone knows, hey, I'm just as good as you are. My first manager said those exact words. <laughs> Not to me, to my colleague. <laughs> okay, okay. So, but I also, you know, just in talking to you, like it's it's almost as if you have this innate ability, if you will, to to get people to see you or or, or any salesperson as more than a salesperson and, and build a real conversation. Tell me about how you're able to do that. I think, especially in 2018, sales reps uh, since the dawn of time have always gotten a relatively bad rep. Like, you know, they've 
typically very pushy, aggressive, um, trying to sell you something that you might not necessarily need. Um, so I think uh, initially, like a lot of the times when you're speaking with people, they might be on the defensive. So I think upfront, just trying to be as real as possible and trying to um, really connect with the person that you might be speaking with, like depending on whatever tidbits of information you might have about the company or that you may have gotten from like a BDR or an SDR um, and trying to build off of that. Like there's going to be a mutual decision that comes to at the end of this call, whether it's good good or bad, right? But but just really trying to connect with them and say like, hey, like, you know, these are the things that I understand that you're trying to look for, trying to expand all that, as well as being like, hey, here's my reason on, on being on this call too. So I'm um, really just making sure that it's not just a completely one-sided conversation and you're not just like interviewing somebody, let's say, and ask them questions that you need to, you know, put into Salesforce, uh, but rather just really tr- just trying to understand like, you know, their priorities, what what the business is trying to do even beyond um, just what the initial questioning might be like around pricing and features. And when can you see a demo? How, but how, Najib, how do you start to balance that out? Because, you know, we all have the required fields that do have to make their way to Salesforce at some point. And it's not like buyers are always just willingly giving that information out. So how do you actually, you know, what are some of the, the tactics maybe you have to put them at ease, to get them to open up to you, to share that information freely in a, in a two-way dialogue? I think the biggest thing when you're in that type of scenario is to maybe even explain, and this is something I do, like, hey, you know, we might not be taking a look at a demo, regardless of how this call may have been positioned to you um, just yet. Here's the reason why. These are some of the things that I'd like to figure out. So this is actually relevant to your use case. And you could even maybe start to rattle off some of the bigger use cases of like why people, um, you know, treat this call this way, why people might be using X software, right? And just so they can kind of disarm them of like, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm going to be able to get you exactly what you're looking for. We will talk about pricing. We will get to take a look at the features, but let's take a step back and understand why. Like, why, why is this as important to you? And then from there, I think you can start to gauge or like talk about like, what are your personal priorities? What are the business priorities? What does the CFO care about? Who's asking about pricing? And at the same time, like, again, I think you're always going to be able to need to match the cadence of how somebody speaks to you as well. So if they're like really adamant, like, no, no, I just really need to understand like what the pricing of this is. Like I can't do anything outside of what my budget is. So I need to address that first, like address it. Like, okay, well, what is your budget? Talk to me a little bit about that. And you can start to kind of pick off different parts of the conversation earlier on. It's not like just a one way road or like different stops you need to take in, in that order. You mentioned earlier how we had a conversation about how you were, you know, younger than everyone in your grade for for I mean, most of your career. How do you do what you're saying right now and get that mutual respect level you know, between yourself and the buyer when you may be several rungs down from them, at least title wise, or maybe you are ten years younger in your career? Like, how do you get that that mutual level of respect? I think at the end of the day, regardless of if you're speaking to somebody who's been doing uh, something in HR or finance or whatever it might be for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, however long, like, you know, at the end of the day, you're here, you are the product expert, at least in this conversation, but also the industry expert, right? Like uh, in, in earlier on in my career, in order to build, like, you know, if somebody takes a look at my LinkedIn even like when you first join a company, they can see you've only been there for like a month or they see that you graduated college like two years ago or something like that, right? It's really just establishing that credibility up front. Like, hey, 
Uh, I deal with this type of scenario extremely often. Here are the, the typical use cases. Like I deal with companies very similar to you. And being able to relate their type of experience to something uh, that ties back to like something that you've dealt with, um, I think is pretty important. Um, and being able to establish that credibility. And like, that also goes back to understanding like, you know, you know, what your ideal candidate or customer profile might look like, right? So getting to understand the industry, getting to understand the terms and lingo that they might be using to be able to relate back to them. So it doesn't sound like, you know, you're just some generic talk track that's reading off a script. Yeah, I got that. I like it. Najib, you've, uh, you know, you've been at uh, several different established or, you know, large companies like HubSpot and LogMe, and now you've shifted over to, to greenhouses, as you said, a more of a later stage startup. But what's the biggest difference you've seen in sales? when you're at a much larger organization, it's been around for years and years and years, you're a little bit more of a cog uh, that's like in a machine, right? Um, so you're just kind of told this is the product, this is how we price it. This is like, these are the types of talk tracks and like, these are the, this is our roadmap. Um, but, you know, with that said, the bigger advantage there is there's tons of training, there are tons of success stories, there are tons of uh, ways that you get onboarded that makes you successful much quicker. Um, I, I think part of the reason why I joined uh, a company like Greenhouse um, and at the stage it's at is to be able to, to try to help build that process internally, um, like being able to really help define what the sales culture for this company uh, for the next 10, 15, 20 years is, is going to be, but also trying to get a much better understanding of like, uh, I've, like, I've seen how it works at bigger companies where product marketing like specifically handles pricing. But like, you know, sales very rarely has any input in that, or at least, um, you know, maybe not like a junior salesperson. Um, so being able to work directly with like product marketing, being able to work with like events marketing, um, like the customer success team, and just really the full funnel of like what somebody goes through from when SDRs reach out to them, the marketing emails to like how I interact with them and uncovering business problems and how they map back to greenhouse to even what happens to them as they go through like renewals um, is something that I was particularly interested in and also helping have like influence in that process. So if I ask you which one you like better, what, do you, what would you say? I would say there are benefits and negatives to both scenarios. I, uh, I, I led sales for a company called Compendium uh, back in the day. And, you know, um, we were, gosh, what do we have? I think we had five people, six people on the sales team. And I think the company was only 30 people, right? And we, we were very fortunate. We sold that business to Oracle. But to go from that startup to Oracle, uh, where I personally was just one salesperson and now an organization of almost a thousand, and just like literally every document you could imagine had already been created. But there wasn't one central repository. You had like network inside the organization to know where it is and bring this person into quote, this person into demo. My goodness. I, yeah, I, I would always prefer to be more on the, uh, the smaller side creating that stuff. So totally feel you there. Najib, what's something that uh, you believe separates you from other salespeople? You know, I, I think this is something that's harder to be able to learn or teach. But like initially, uh, I think I do have an ability to make people feel comfortable when they do speak to me. But I'd say something that um, is something that's actually helped me be successful and it hasn't always been uh, the case is just around how you can manage your emotions and, and your actual temperament. When you first joined sales, especially when I did, I, I really had no idea what I was getting into and being somebody who uh, is pretty passionate, um, you know, at the time, like if I got a no from somebody, I would take it really harshly. Or if I got a yes, I'd get so excited uh, about it. Um, and so understanding that there is going to be a roller coaster and there are ways you can prevent going, you know, kind of down that, I don't even know what, what you'd call like a downtrend, right? Or like an uptick. 
I think that's really important. Um, but also understanding like, again, if you are going to lose or if you're going to lose a deal or if you're going to win a deal, being able to do it collaboratively and collectively with your team. You're always going to be an individual performer um, when you're in sales, but that doesn't mean that you're not part of uh, an immediate team or a larger cause there. Uh, so being able to really just be able to quarterback um, as much as you can as well. So again, if you are going to be losing a deal, understanding why you might be losing it, but also going down swinging and you know being able to leverage anybody else in the company that might be able to help um, that process, even if it's already a lost cause at that point, but also being able to celebrate wins uh, together when when it's done with an engineer or somebody from marketing or uh, like an example being I, I brought uh, my director of communication uh, into a meeting uh, earlier this morning. I like how you're saying that this this notion of, you know, never lose alone because you're going, as you, you said it right, like you uh, as a salesperson, at the end of the day, you, it's your quota that you have to retire. It's your commission check that's going to get paid on. It's all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you're not just out there on an island. You have the entire company kind of at your disposal. So make sure you're you're leveraging them. But but I guess give me more specifics. Like uh, you have this like ability to get in and out of your own head when you need to because, you know, as you said, all of us have been on that roller coaster. We've all had the high highs. We've all had the low lows. How are you specifically managing those uh, expectations? It starts with a little bit of failure, right? Early on, I had um, a lot of times where I'd get, uh, I mean, I had a lot of very early success. Um, and, you know, that would get kind of get to my head where I get so excited. And, you know, then you realize like your pipeline is starting to fall a little bit by the wayside because when you're closing a bunch of deals, you might not be focusing as much on making cold calls back in uh, at the time that I'm referencing, right? Um, and then at the same time, like I've, I've gotten into my head of being like, wow, I've really seen what it's like when you've been unsuccessful or you've gone through kind of a, a cold streak of seeing how that like impacts your confidence. Um, and I think once you've realized both sides of that and you've come in and out of both of those states, um, you can start to realize like, hey, there are like, I have a bunch of, I have a very strong pipeline right now. Within the next quarter, a lot of these deals are going to close and I can start to button those up. And as I do, I need to now start focusing as much as possible on rebuilding that pipeline and leveraging the deals and prospects that I might be working that maybe I wasn't giving as much attention to while I was working some of those other deals. Um, I mean, the, the the big thing is it's easier said than done to say, try to get as ahead as possible. Like in the month, like if you close a big deal, the beginning of a quarter or a month, then you know, you're a little bit more at ease. Uh, but even if you are falling back behind, just always stay confident. Um, because at the end of the day, I think if you do all of the right things, you will have success in sales. If you are there grinding, always like, you know, calling people, trying to follow up and like really trying to build value with customers or prospects and work off of, you know, challenges that they might be facing and trying to help solve them. Like you will end up finding success. With that said, it's not just going to, you're not going to be able to pick up the phone, just get gold once, once a day. Right. Um, so I, I think that's a big thing, which is when you've experienced it, you will know that, if you do the right things, you will be able to build off of it. Well, having had both of those experiences, as you said, the early success, then obviously stumbling a little bit. Is there a habit or a routine, Najib, that you kind of find yourself doing every day now? I would say it's it's all about structuring your day. Like this is still something that I would say I'm I'm working on. I, I think time management, but also like again, understanding what needs to happen like throughout your day, at least at the beginning and the middle and the end and setting milestones for yourself is super important. Um, like there are often days uh, even now and in the past where 
I might be in back-to-back-to-back calls with prospects and customers. Um, and it's hard to then do your follow-up or then uh, update your pipeline, your opportunities, or your notes. Um, so trying to set yourself up for success where you do take breaks, where you do have to actually do the things that you need to do, like send somebody a proposal or send a follow-up email. I think there are a lot of tools out there that try to help solve for this as well. I haven't found perfect ones, but I'm always trying to look into it of like, hey, is there uh, a way I can be a better note taker? Um, are there uh, going to be ways where I can templatize like my emails or something like that? Um, so there's, you know, you're not always going to be able to have the resources of a company that's going to go buy that software. Uh, but even just trying to research like free tools that you could be using is, is always helpful. And, and again, like I think like one change uh, that I made recently, which is around, especially being a much smaller company, like the way you update your pipeline is absolutely crucial. And a lot of times, like, you know, this is not a nine to five job. Uh, I'm often working internationally. You know, I'm working within the US, different time zones. Uh, you know, so I'll, I'll work either really early, I can have normal days, I could be working really late, but always just taking aside, like at six o'clock, I always make sure I update exactly what's happening with every single one of my deals, like within Salesforce um, at six o'clock every single day, just so I can keep track of exactly what's in the rear view, like of like, or like, I guess the front view of like my current month. And then also the month after that and the month after that, just so I can understand like three months out, like I have a pulse of what's going on with everything that's within my control right now. How disciplined are you about that? Meaning every day at 6 PM, making sure you get that done. Pretty disciplined at this point. Um, it's, you know, again, earlier on, even um, within the last year, I wasn't as good where I didn't realize how crucial that was going to be to my success or just being able to uh, just be able to effectively manage that. I, and I think it's all about habit. Like it, it's on my calendar. Nobody knows, everybody knows to not book me at that time. Um, and it's something I can quickly update because I know like typically like I might not get that time back. So just being able to just dedicate 30 minutes every single day, six o'clock. And hopefully that's when I might be leaving work. So, um, you know, I'll be trying to wrap up or work around that too. I really like that. And I noticed that in my own day, my own week, that when I do spend that half an hour at the end of the day to update all the things that I need to get done, either the next day or what happened today, and just really look at that forecast as you talked about, I have a better day and I have a better, I have a better next day and I have a better week. And uh, if I do get in that habit and I'm doing it constantly, you know, days turns into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into great quarters. And uh, I just, I always like hearing stuff like that from, from reps. So I appreciate you sharing that. Najib, it's been a while since I've asked this question, but I want to ask it to you. You know, it, it seems to me like every great salesperson has a, a story or remembers a deal that got away. Do you have one of those that you can share with us? It was one of those types of deals where it makes or breaks your year, where if, if, if all you did was rely upon that deal and it didn't close, then you, know, you kind of screwed yourself over for a quarter. Uh, and then, you know, at the same time, like if, it, if it's something that does actually close, that's going to be something that gets you to P club like halfway through the year. So it's, it, it was an account where um, a couple of, so it was, it was a, a much bigger holdings company. They had like, I think like 17 different subsidiaries underneath them. Uh, some of them were smaller customers and a couple of different products of my company at the time. Um, and, but a lot of it was new interest. And I think this is one of the bigger things uh, that I'm sure is always a question that gets asked on these types of things of like, what can you do to avoid? which is get happy years or take something at face value. Um, so when I saw that they were already spending, uh, you know, at least a decent amount of money, there was a whole lot of interest in one side of it because I'd actually sold one of their subsidiaries, uh, a pretty large size new business deal as well. 
Um, so it, I, I started speaking with the parent company. They were looking to consolidate all their accounts and also tack it on for like the rest of uh, the holdings companies. Um, some of my bigger misses there were understanding, um, and this is something that's interesting, which is like, you know, those other companies within those, the other subsidiaries, let's say like the other eight, all use different types of softwares. And I didn't spend enough time to understand how they like those softwares. I didn't try to reach out to them. I was just kind of taking everything like, oh, they already use my company's software and they use a couple of different products. So they, I, I assumed that that was the best, like that they like that the best. Ultimately, it didn't end up going in my favor where they decided to consolidate with the other tool that the other companies were using. And I didn't spend enough time really digging into what the consequence of not going with us might be, um, specifically why they were looking to consolidate as much as possible uh, to stack in my favor, but also understanding like there was some sort of champion uh, that I was going against that actually had a pretty big stakeholder on, on that side as well, at least internally. Those were some of the bigger things that I think I did wrong. I, I'm a firm believer, and at that same company, one of the sales leaders, he said to me, if you're losing a deal, you didn't just lose it, you're just finding out about it. Which means there are multiple parts along, there are multiple steps throughout, you know, the four or five months I was working that deal that I didn't ask a specific question or I didn't go that step further or get past that assumptive layer. Which, if had I done that, I would have either known much sooner that the stacks, the cards were actually stacked against me versus in my favor, uh, which either would have let me not rely so heavily on that deal or be able to kind of lose it or even potentially win it quicker than uh, everything went down. Man, so much good stuff in there. Happy ears, assumptions, just, you know, they already use us in another division. Uh, It sucks that you lost it, but I I love being able to to, uh, pick those things apart and really look at and see all the things that we know we could have done better next time we're faced with a similar circumstance. Well, Najib, I appreciate you sharing that. Hey, I I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I've got to take a quick break so that we can say thank you to our sponsors. We come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Najib, are you ready for the money round? Let's do this. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Being able to really learn and grow from your mistakes. Um, I would say a lot of the, the things I do particularly well now are things that I failed at at some point earlier on in my career, and even now, um, that I'm constantly trying to evolve from. Um, so I really use it as, as a point of like, hey, I never want to lose a deal this way. I never want to feel this way, or I never just want this outcome to happen again. So what can I do to kind of work backwards of understanding why this happened to figure out how to avoid it in the future? If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Understand exactly what the value that I bring or that my company has brought to my customers. So I would take away from learning about the features and ins and outs of the tool. But to understand first and foremost what we try to do and help solve for for companies and the types of challenges that we we really do help 
uh, solve for. Two part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? I would say they're one in the same uh, as, as far as what I like about both of them. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I love to win because closing deals is great and making tons of money. But uh, that's not really it. It's um, really being able to I, I, I do love to win because I do truly believe uh, in the product that I currently sell and that I've sold in the past and the challenges that we help solve for. So being able to work more as a, a prescriptive, essentially consultant, right? Being able to understand like how you go about solving a problem for a company and being able to provide a solution. I hate to lose. Because a lot of times uh, what does happen is I really do understand what somebody is going through and I know exactly how to solve their problem. And I truly do believe that I would be the one that solves that problem for them uh, that uh, I end up losing that deal um, and it's going to be going to somebody else or another tool or another platform that I truly don't believe is going to be able to solve for exactly what we've uncovered in that conversation or several conversations. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Shoe Dog, which goes, uh, talks about um, Phil Knight, the, the founder of Nike's early trials uh, of starting out the company. I just think it's, there are a lot of important lessons, both personally and, and professionally, that you can always take away uh, something from. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Najib's suggestion of Shoe Dog for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for Shoe Dog. And Najib, here's what I have to say about Shoe Dog. I, I know that Phil Knight had a lot of success with Nike, obviously, and still having success. But I don't feel like there was enough talk about Michael Jordan in that book. I I could just be a, a biased uh, thinker there, but I feel like Jordan uh, with basketball where it was in the late 80s, early 90s also had a big part of what made Nike successful. I just feel like they glossed over it. I do agree with that, actually. What's currently at the top of your bucket list? I'm a firm believer of taking the appropriate types of breaks from work. Um, I think it's really important. So a lot of times what I like to do is uh, I, I make sure that I, I spend some time away from the office at least once or twice a year. I'd say the, the biggest place I want to visit that's like really on the top of my bucket list is uh, I want to go on safari uh, in Africa. I, I specifically most recently was seeing a lot of pictures and reading about this giraffe hotel in Kenya, where you can like sit at like a cafe and these like giant giraffes come, peek their heads in and they'll like keep uh, like hang out with you. Uh, I'd say that's probably number one on my bucket list of, of a place and thing I want to do, uh, hopefully uh, next year. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Understand your limits. I think the biggest thing is just really understand like, again, like, what your like emotional ticks are like understand like you know when when you are super successful uh what you can do to continue that when you are getting really down uh as far as you know when things aren't actually going your way being able to understand like again maintain that confidence and really just be able to uh be a quarterback for how you are going to plan on winning or losing something so uh, don't ever be shy or don't ever do anything by yourself um try to leverage as much as you can any type of resource uh that that's going to be beneficial to uh, that specific scenario or prospect uh, or challenge that you're trying to overcome. 
Najib's notion of working intentionally is something I've been continuing to strive for over most of my career. If you want to get in touch with Najib, he said he's obviously on LinkedIn, but that he also shares a lot of his life through photos on Instagram. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, be real. Sales calls should be mutually beneficial. If you're just talking at prospects, naturally their guard is going to be up. Yes, I know you have required fields and boxes you have to check on each call, but what would happen if you worked with the prospect and said, hey, I understand what you're trying to accomplish, but here are a couple of the things I need to be able to get to this call as well. If you're real with them, they'll understand you have a job to do, and this track will disarm them. Number two, don't let it go to your head. The roller coaster of sales emotions is a real one. Once you start seeing some success and you find a lot of your time being spent closing deals, realize the only way to close those deals is to open them in the first place. Make sure you're balancing the time needed with new prospects. And on the flip side, if you find yourself stringing together a few bad weeks, well, don't let it shake your confidence. Focus on the things you know to do that are right in front of you and the activities that you know will drive the success needed. Number three, understand the consequences of inaction. If you lose a deal, it's not like it just happened in that instant. The reality is you lost it much earlier in the process. You just happened to find out about it when the prospect told you. As you're running any sales cycle, you must understand what happens if certain things don't take place. I mean that on both sides, the prospect's end as well as yours. If they don't solve their problem, what happens? If you make the wrong assumptions, what happens? Minimizing inaction will allow you to start to see many, many more closes. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. Next week is episode 100. I've got something special for you planned around the notion of permission, and I've also got a great giveaway plan. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.